I have to kind of tell myself I'm still 45 and I've got some years. Are you, you know 45? What I mean? Yeah. Oh. Does that seem older? It does. I, I, yeah. I Honestly, I thought you were about 43. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Somebody told me recently that it looked like I was 35. So that was a nice compliment. God. Except for the grays. I'm getting Don't gray believe them. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting like that salt and pepper well, look like you are. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm beyond salt that. and pepper. <laughs> I'm almost all salt. <laughs> so, Jim, I know that you love me. And you're a valued supplier to car machine and tool. You're our biggest cutting tool supplier. So, Jim, what's my grade? Well, you know, Pro Shop rates our vendors based on every... It's a live, real-time rating schedule from one to five. And let me look. Zengers, you're a five. You're at the top of your list. Five out of five. Five out of five. Overall quality, packaging quality, lead time, pricing, customer service. And then it averages all of those out. Got it. So what's the purpose of having a grade anyway for your your vendors? Because part of having a quality management system wants to know that you're rating your suppliers all the time because you don't want to deal with a supplier that's subpar, right? It affects your overall quality. If you're shipping me cutting tools that are late or the wrong size, it's going to impact our customer's delivery, right? So it gives you the ability to have a conversation with your suppliers and say, I need you to make these improvements because of this certification that I have. 100%. That's great. Well, for more information on this, go to ProShopERP.com and check it out. Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing truly is challenging. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined by my original co-host, Mr. Jason Zenger. Original. I'm <laughs> the original. <laughs> yeah, since episode 19, one. 19 <laughs> or 20. I, said, I was going to say 19, 25, 19. <laughs> I was even born. Yeah, no, neither was I. Uh, 2015. So I know. Crazy. We were just talking about this. I mean, I can't even believe that we're approaching 300 episodes, Jim, <laughs> that you and I have recorded I since the very beginning. I know. It's crazy. So, but it's good. It feels yeah. good. It's always fresh. Yes. And it's always good to be with you and yeah, absolutely. talk manufacturing. I mean, I came off of my sabbatical just so I can be here with you because I missed you. Oh, <laughs> thanks. I'm smiling really big. <laughs> but that's great. No, seriously, it really is. And I appreciate that. But again, today we're in my new car machine and tool. Yeah, I know the metal working. Thanks. I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah, no, it really is. It's impressive. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah still have some stuff you got to get together, but I mean, it's very nice looking. Yeah. So it's truly a, a studio for what a manufacturing, modern manufacturing company should look yeah. like, which I know is your goal and what you were going for. I wanted to differentiate so. myself among the other machine shops in the area. Exactly. There you go. But it's great to be here. It's great to be with you. And I want to share today a portion of how we got here. Yeah, what shaped kind of like the modern new car and and why I did the things I did. Because I took extra steps in the process to create this new image of car machine and tool. And the gentleman we're going to have on the show with us today he was part of that process. Well, I think it's important for the metalworking nation to hear about your journey so that if they get the opportunity to either revamp their manufacturing floor or move into a new facility, they can say, you know what? I heard this episode on making chips where Jim and Jason talked about that journey and they can take some notes from that and do some similar things for themselves. I mean, that's 
the whole mission of making chips is that we want to elevate manufacturing leadership and we want the metalworking nation to learn from what we've experienced. So it's all about sharing content. Exactly. We want manufacturing to improve and if we could be your partner along that way. Yeah, we're gonna tell you the good things and we're gonna tell you the bad things too, right? Yeah, there you go. So before we get into it, I know we've got some manufacturing news and some other things that we want to talk about, but Tell me what's new in your life. You yeah, just so <laughs> tell everybody where you just came back. Yeah, from. I just got back yesterday from Wyoming. My wife and I were in Jackson for five days. It was a blessing because you know I, I uh, actually liked your Instagram posts. Oh, my, you, my LinkedIn posts and your wife's. Yeah, because yeah. honestly, I felt it. Yeah, I've been to Wyoming before. I yeah. love it. We used to go camping out there. Yeah, and. Yeah, Yellowstone, oh. and, or as I was calling it, Jellystone, which I think is what, you know, <laughs> from oh. that cartoon. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and they, then the Teton National Park. Oh, yeah. And so what I've been doing is actually on LinkedIn, if you go to jasonzenger.com, it'll take you to my LinkedIn profile. I've been posting just different things from my sabbatical that I've been learning and kind of relating it to business. And it's been really good. It's been refreshing. It was a blessing to get away with my wife for five days, you know, four kids. It's not easy to do that. It's not um, easy. And, you know, the businesses and stuff like that. But it was really good to get away. My wife said it was a one day too long. Oh, away too from, long? Yeah, away from her from her babies. But, okay. you know, She'll get over it. It was good. Yeah, it was fine. Just two days ago, we went whitewater rafting. I screwed up my shoulder really bad. You'll get over it. <laughs> yeah, You're not going to die. I'm feeling better. You're not going to so, die. So, yeah, so it's been really good. And, you know, and every time I, you know, Armando on my team, he came and picked us up at the airport and I was just kind of checking in with him. And every time I asked my team what's going on, they're like, don't Stop worry about us. it. We're on sabbatical. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's been good as far as that goes. Awesome. So we just had a new, I mean, even while I was gone, we have a new integration where we installed some vending machines and new client and stuff like that. So like, you know, the team's taking care of things in my absence. So it's really good. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Thank I you. I felt that true. Yeah. I needed a little bit of a break, yep. you know, some yep. clarity. I mean, just the bison in the oh. middle of the street. I know. That's so cool. They're beautiful. And I, I, I know my family and I, we actually eat a lot of bison. Do you? Yeah. We have like a, a farm in Idaho that we order bison from like all the time, like ground bison. We make tacos once a week and hmm. it's really good for you. I did not. I did not beef. know that. Yeah. Did not know that. But anyway, before we get in, I, this is kind of like a precursor to what we're going to talk about today. Why investing in your own business is important. So I found this on the internet, you know, much like everybody else gets their news. And I thought they get their news from making chips. <laughs> well, Part of what they do is get it from making chips. And all we're really doing is taking our, we're regurgitating news from the web and sharing our own experiences. But anyway, there's five topics here. Why investing in your business is important. One, your business will grow. Duh. That's If you make the right investment. That's the objective. Yeah. Yeah. It goes on to say, I'm sure you've heard of the phrase, you got to spend money to make money. Yep. It may sound cliche, but it, honest to God, is the truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't lose your mind, but you've got to have the vision have the roadmap, have the end result, and it will happen. And you can't expect to do it yourself. You have to bring in other people to help you make your vision come alive. Two, you and your others will take your business seriously. I couldn't agree with that more. So part of this whole revamping was to attract a higher-end customer who I think is going to be attracted to the brand. And almost as importantly is... The team members that you bring on. Yeah, absolutely. Tracking and retaining team, your team. Because I know, you know, I've got a couple interviews this weekend and hopefully when they come in and see the environment they're going to be working in, 
They're going to love it. And, you know, we're kind of struggling with that right now because we've got a couple old buildings, two in Indiana, one in Illinois, and they're not that aesthetically pleasing. But do you have customers coming in to yours? We not do. Really. Yeah. We, well, yeah. I mean, because we have an active showroom where we sell tools and stuff like that off of the showroom. So, yeah, customers come in, you know, lots of customers come in every day. But, I mean, we need to kind of shape the place but up. But you're not having Boeing come in. No, but we have large manufacturers coming into our place, like where we integrate with them and capture their whole tooling spend. I mean, we have clients that spend $2 million a year in tooling with us. Right. So, I mean, like these are big, those are big clients. One of our clients is a Fortune 100 company. Wow. So, I mean, like we need to find a new building and we need to reinvest in the company. Sure. But I mean, you did it at 60 years old. Kudos to you for doing that. Mm -hmm. And I have to kind of tell myself I'm still 45 and I've got some years. Are you you 45? Yeah. Does that seem old or? It does. I, yeah. I honestly, I thought you were about forty-three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Somebody told me recently that it looked like I was thirty-five. So that was a nice compliment. God. Except for the grays, don't, I'm getting don't gray. Don't believe Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting like that salt and pepper well, look, like you are. Yeah. Oh, I'm. I'm, I'm beyond salt that. and pepper. <laughs> I'm almost all salt. <laughs> uh, three. So yeah, we do need to invest, yeah. but I need to be patient too. Three. You'll feel less stressed. Everybody wants to feel less stressed. I don't know if I'm less stressed now that I'm in this building. I kind of maybe more stressed. But at the end of the day, it feels good being here. I know my shop employees feel good being in the shop. I got a quick thing to say about them. We had our weekly production meeting yesterday. And one of my CNC machinists, we always start out with good news. And one of my CNC machinists goes, my good news is I'm glad to be working a car machine in an air-conditioned shop. He goes, one of my fellow machinists texted me on Monday and he goes, it's 108 degrees in the shop that yeah, I'm working at right now. There you now. go. Exactly. So I got it. Yep. So that makes a difference. It's humanizing people. I mean, we're, everyone's human. Mm-hmm. How can you expect an employee or a human to work in conditions that are 108 degrees? Yep. It's ridiculous. Four, you can focus on what you're best at. I agree. If you're in a great environment and you have all the tools to save time and become more efficient, You can focus on the things that you know you can get done and you can delegate all those other ancillary things to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Five and final, you can save time. We we just said that. Saving time is what we all need to do. We save money. We save time. We save money, right? We save time. We save a lot of headaches and your customers will appreciate that as well. So- just five tips on why investing in your business is important. And I couldn't agree with the article more. Yeah. So I have two quick manufacturing news articles. One, I'm sorry, I I was going to have two and I brought it down to one and it's really quite broad. It's president Biden announces support for the bipartisan infrastructure framework was big news. Is that like in law yet or? Oh yeah. It was signed this week. It was signed. 1.3 T T R I L L I O N trillion dollars. Yeah. It will definitely impact manufacturing in some capacity over the next five years, maybe more. Oh yeah, for sure. It's gonna help. Well, what are they considering infrastructure though? That's the big thing. I have the definition. Great. What do you know? Yeah. Economic infrastructure is the basic facilities which directly benefit the process of production and distribution in an economy. Roads, railways, telecommunication systems, waterways, airways, financial institutions, electricity, water supply, etc. are all examples of economic 
infrastructure. Okay, so it's still pretty broad. It's in pretty gray. broad. It's but in gray. we do business for companies that provide infrastructure to roads, let's say. Yeah, no, I know. Well, so, we've got a client who makes... It's going to affect you. If it's going to affect me, it's yeah. going to affect you. Well, just as an example, we, I mean, we have a client that makes bearings for bridges. Okay. So as you can imagine, so, like, yeah. they're a machine shop that, you know, <laughs> they're making these bearings specifically for bridges. And so, like, yeah, infrastructure, and they're going to be really busy. Yeah, they will. I guarantee that. And that's just one example, it, you know? One, it's just one example. Yeah. It's going to come at us. I just hope that there's not a lot of fluff that is in that money that they're going to be spending. You know what I mean? I, I mean, there's going to be some. Jason. You know what I mean? I know. There's going to be fluff. Yeah. You know what? Fluff it However, the heck you want. Just as long as it's like a small, and like what are you going to do? Single digit percentage. I'm not going to get into political stuff. I know. I All know. All I care about is: is it going to help the manufacturing community? Yeah. Yes, it's going to help the manufacturing yeah. community. And hopefully, and it was bipartisan. It is bipartisan. Yeah, it that was yeah. the big thing that they were bringing yeah. the bell on. They yeah. they all got along. Yeah. What a novelty! Isn't yeah. that great? That's, no, I think that's, that's awesome. That's what they need to do. That's what we need to do. We yeah. need to get along because yeah, as can't, a country, can't. I'm tired of the um, people being in their silos and their camps and stuff like that. We all need to just be together. Couldn't not agree more. So let's get on with the episode. We've got a great guest here. I want to read a couple paragraphs here about why I did what I did. And it says, I'm just going to read it quite frankly. As you all know, I've recently moved into this new facility. It's the first move I ever had in my entire career and probably the last as I was embarking on a once in a lifetime opportunity to really showcase my business. I understand the power of brand. I understand the power of design really well. I knew that our existing and future clients are probably going to be more sophisticated and that their own brands would want to partner with similar ones. And like I just said to you about employees, most importantly, to attract and retain talent. So I had to do this right because this was my first and last opportunity to get it done. So the shop floor, as we all know, is where we make our money. I know that when I bring prospects and clients out there, I had to present it in a way that was sophisticated, high-tech, polished, and professional, but it had to be efficient. It really did have to be efficient. That's where IMEC comes in, who we're going to talk to today. I had some engagement with them over a decade ago when I received a grant to augment the cost of my ASO uh, 9001 credentialing, and I kept hearing from my peers that the services they offered so I reached out to them for some technical collaboration on designing my shop floor for efficiency, workflow, machine tool placement, tooling locations, carts, et cetera, et cetera. Now that I'm finally in, I'm thrilled to share with all of you, the Metalworking Nation, the process. And to help us do that is Dean Harms from IMEC. Well, let me introduce Dean. Go right ahead, Jason. So we'd like to welcome to Making Chips, Dean Harms, who is a regional manager for IMEC. And IMEC is the Illinois Manufacturing Excellence Center. And IMEC is an example of many other manufacturing centers across the United States. And Dean can explain a little bit about how IMEC relates to some other manufacturing centers that are out there. And because the Metalworking Nation is, I mean, we have all 50 states listening to Making Chips, so they're going to want to know, well, what does my region have? So, Dean, welcome to the show, and please explain to the Metalworking Nation what IMAC is all about. Well, thanks, Jason, and thanks, Jim. You're welcome. Good to have you here today, man. I can't wait to share this story with everybody. One of the things that's... uh I like so much about my job is that I'm able to go out and fulfill the mission on a regular basis. And my mission essentially is to go out and help somebody else in any way I can on a daily basis. 
and just have as much fun along the way as I possibly this can. This is like our mission. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are we definitely like having fun, for sure. <laughs> IMAC in general, let me give you a little history on IMAC. We are part of the MEP National Network, which stands for Manufacturing Extension Partnership, which is connected into the U.S. Department of Commerce through the NIST organization. So we'll we acro- all know what NIST is. There you go. Lots of acronyms from Lots the government. Lots of acronyms. Uh, you know, my head's spinning. <laughs> this got started back in the 1990s, and IMEC officially started in the state of Illinois back in the late 90s. Uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our 25th anniversary. So IMEC uh, definitely has staying power, but we're a part of the network. There are 51 MEPs, one in every state in Puerto Rico. So we're the Illinois affiliate, but there is an MEP in these services uh, cross over all the state lines that are available across the United States of America. Our overall mission is to provide solutions and improvements to small to medium-sized manufacturing companies to help them navigate an ever-changing landscape and also to uh, help them drive profitability, sustain that growth, and to become more globally competitive. Great. Dean, you said that very well. Yeah. Did you? I've been practicing. <laughs> I, I can tell. That was awesome. I got it. Exactly. I mean, one, yeah. of, the, one of the things that the Metalworking Nation is, is going to want to know is, okay, I'm ready. I want to get engaged. I want to do something. Yep. Who do I call? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's a little bit complicated because, like you said, somebody in Tulsa, Oklahoma can't just call Dean because Dean's going to be like, I'm Illinois. So how do we make sure that we can steer the Metalworking Nation to the right organization to deal with? Well, keep in mind, if uh, anybody wants to call me, I'll make sure I get them connected to their local MEP. Well, we don't want to flood your cell phone, no. <laughs> That's okay. I'm one of those guys that's always connected. Okay. You can Google just MEP network in your state, Indiana, Pennsylvania, New York, California. You'll find it. It'll bring up a website for the uh, Manufacturing Extension Partnership National Network. And that'll give you a phone number and connection and contact points. Why don't we build out a page for making chips, makingchips.com slash MEP? We can do that. We'll put some links out there and and that way. Can you get right on that, Jason? I'll I'll make sure that the team gets it done. (laughs) So yeah, if you go to makingchips.com slash MEP, we'll get a page out there and we'll get some resources for the Metalworking Nation to be able to get connected quickly. And if we can't get that out right away, we'll just put Dean's cell phone number up there. Go right ahead. Dean, I just have, have a really quick question before we go any further that I'm sure people are wondering. Is this a government funded entity? Yeah. Is this a nonprofit? I mean, like, what, yeah, what's the organizational structure? We are both privately funded and publicly funded. Uh-huh. So there is federal support that is provided for the MEPs and for IMEC in general. Now, that's a real important point to me because we are one of those channels that brings tax dollars back into the state of Illinois. Right. So as you pay your money to Washington, D.C., it comes back in specifically to serve manufacturing. That's a key component, that the money that comes through is applied where it's needed most. Okay. So it's a nonprofit organization then, right? Non-for-profit organization. We do have a competitive cost for hourly work and the services that we provide, but it does have the matching fund program attached to it. The purpose of which, again, going back to the late 90s when this all started, which was generated out of the federal government through the Department of Commerce at that time, it was to serve the U.S. manufacturing, small to medium-sized companies to help them at that time with issues of productivity, automation, supply chain. And if you recall back in the 90s, manufacturing was leaving the country, going yep. to Mexico, yep. going on to yep. China, and there was a lot of tariff issues going on. Mm-hmm. Gee, sounds like issues that still prevail all the way into oh, today. What do you know? What do you know? What do you know? Hey, Jason, you know manufacturing is just booming right now, and we are all struggling to find machinists. Part of the immediate solution is to be more strategic in our machine production. 
This is where Amper Technologies' monitoring system really helps us out. It identifies trouble areas on the shop floor by giving us real-time insight of the chip making of each machine. In just a few short weeks, we've got metrics to start mitigating that downtime, and that's smart manufacturing. Check out Amper at amper.xyz. So in examples like we talked about with this new infrastructure bill, are you assuming that large amount of that money is going to go to the MEPs, which are then going to place that amongst the 51 subchapters? That would fall under the, in the state of Illinois, I'll say it this way. Number one, you never know what grant funding is going to look like. Mm -hmm. You don't know how much, when, where, what it's going to be allocated for, how long it's going to last. All I know is that when it becomes available, my job and my personal opinion is to try to land as much of it in my area as I possibly can to help the manufacturing companies in our area as much as we can. The purpose of that funding is to help manufacturing. That's what our mission supports. What you bring to the table is you're of the ground floor personal relationships. And you're like, I know if I advocate for Jim Carr to get this money, he's going to put it to good use in order to like increase the manufacturing yes. capacity of yes. this country. It typically will pay for some of the services that are required in order to deliver the project work that's done. I am a strong supporter, though, that we should never use grant money as a reason to close a piece of business or support that mm. because there's return on investment. But again, the grant funding supports manufacturing in the state of Illinois. It's intended for that purpose, and we want to make sure that it is used for that purpose, and that fulfills our mission. But just to be clear, not all your services that you provide to small and medium manufacturers are discounted. Some of them are straight line. Some of them, there's grants that we can get back money for, and you assist with all of those tools to do that. But you have a plethora of services that you offer small manufacturing companies in the state of Illinois, but it's just not free. I just want people to know that you're going to have to pay, but we, we believe that the cost of the services are definitely inferior to the ROI, right? In the state of Illinois, IMEC tracks all of our numbers and based on the investment and the return on investment that's reported by our clients across the state, we're pushing pretty close to a 20 to 1 return on investment. <laughs> that's pretty big. I think that's, that's extremely amazing. important. And that's one of my primary focus. If I'm going to sit down with the client, we're going to talk about doing some business. Before that discussion is over, I'm going to ask, for every dollar you spend, we should be getting $20 back somewhere. We want that return on investment. How are we going to plan and monitor and define success as we go through to make sure that we're hitting those numbers? Right. Because if indeed we can do that, then the services don't cost, they pay. There you go. Exactly. That's what we always say when we're selling tooling is that, yes, you're going to be spending more money for this tooling, but it's going to end up paying in the long run. Absolutely. Keep in mind that the mission that we have to serve small to medium-sized manufacturing companies goes to a, a larger scale because one of the unfortunate trends that we're seeing today is that productivity in the United States of America has been declining year on year on year. I just saw that recently in the news that where they were talking about, is that general productivity or is that manufacturing productivity? Manufacturing productivity. Now, is, is that declining? Declining. Is that skewed a little bit because they're not taking into consideration a lot of the automation and, and everything? Or Obviously, what you're saying is that we're not advancing with automation as fast as we should. Oh, it's not advancing to the rate that, say, like Germany and Japan China. and stuff. And China is, right? Against the international markets right. and okay. the overall productivity, both in throughput and output. 
cost per unit, things along those so, lines. So like if you look at post-World War II, we were accelerating at a pace faster than everybody else was. But now if you look at this modern era, some of our competition, as you would say, as the United States, are maybe moving a little bit faster than we are even. It puts people in the frame of mind where we have to get into a catch-up mode. Yeah. But we're also at the but beginning. But if anybody can do it, America can. I mean, Absolutely. we can catch up. The ingenuity, you know? the automation, the innovation. I know that's where we're going to see a lot more activity. I'm seeing a lot more activity in that because we know that automation can drive productivity. It can drive productivity increases, but there's a balancing act across the automation, the production, the quality, the workforce. It's all tied together. So how do we address that? And I know that from a congressional standpoint, I know that our state senators are both big supporters of the MEP, that they're concerned about manufacturing. They're supporting that effort in the Illinois, and we're working to address some of those needs because when we do that, we benefit the state of Illinois. We benefit Northern Illinois. We benefit the Chicago region. I work out of the Rockford region. And, you know, I use the saying all the time, how do we raise the tide and raise all boats with it? Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of the mission that we try to accomplish is to be an avenue of support to help companies as they look at where they're currently at and what they're doing, but thinking in terms of their future state. Where do I want to be and how do I get there? And that's why I called IMEC for this process. So let's talk about that. Yeah, but so let me let me put a bow, like kind of a bow on this on the end of this conversation before we move on. So okay. everybody can hear the metalworking nation can really hear how passionate Dean is about Illinois manufacturing. But just to reiterate, this is bigger than just our state. This is where Dean's passion comes from. But like this whole MEP network is a national program. If you go to makingchips.com slash MEP, we want to point you in the right direction because our audience is way bigger than just Illinois. So we want to make sure that they understand there are resources out there for every single state plus Puerto Rico, which as a side notion, I found it quite interesting that Puerto Rico has their own Olympic team. I was like, why isn't Puerto Rico competing for the United States? But apparently for like 50 years, they've had their own, yeah. they've had their own I Olympic team. That. So that's just a side note. But anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about Jim's transformation here at Car Machine. Well, yes, I wouldn't call it a transformation, but it, yeah, let's just talk about the experience. Yes. So yes, I knew about IMEC. Yes, I've had experience with them. And Dean, I think cold called me after I was on a live Facebook interview. A little plug, Red Caffeine? Yeah, it was Red Caffeine. Kathy was interviewing me and I mentioned I was moving and you said, hmm, there's got to be some need there. So he called me. He said, you're moving. There's probably something that IMEC can do to help you with the move. And I said, well, I've heard that you guys will come out and do design my shop floor for me. And I really want to have a high-end polished shop. That seems pretty good to me. And when you say polished, it's not just from a design. You wanted a flow a that, flow, work, that worked flow. really workflow yes. that worked yes. well. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Anyway, Dean and I started talking. He introduced me to a gentleman by the name of Tim Maurer. He said he'll be the perfect guy to collaborate with you on designing your shop floor. Dean, tell us a little bit about Tim and his background because... That's important. When Tim was introduced to me, I wanted to hear, was this guy a barista at Starbucks for the last 15 years? You always or, use that as an example. Well, You're always about the barista. I think you spend, I think you spend uh, too much time at Starbucks. <laughs> well, I do go to Starbucks often. But tell us about Tim. Sure, I'm glad to. And, and I want to share, too, that one of the things that I appreciate so much about my work, 
I'm a business development guy. I'm not a strong technical guy. I'm technically competent. Okay, fine. All that good stuff. But I work with some of the best subject matter experts there are. You do, period. You're a connector. Absolutely. We have some of the best of the best. And I've got some tech specialists that I work with. We get them in on some project work and I'll get a client that'll call me up and say, hey, I'd like to get Mary back in. When's she available? For what? I don't know. She's just so darn good. I want to get her back in. The point being is we can add capability and capacity to an organization on a short-term basis for specific solutions or improvements. And again, just the opportunity to have access to those subject matter experts. Tim Maurer's story, which I'm very thankful he's on board right now. He actually worked for IMAC for about eight years. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. He Going did. back about 10, 12 years ago. And he left the organization and went to work for a little company called little company. Caterpillar. Right. And as an engineer and worked there for about 10 to 12 years. Yep, I think you're right. Pretty good uh, stretch there. But Caterpillar is going through changes just like everybody else. And he uh, was let go under a layoff situation. And Wasn't it during COVID? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, yeah. last year. I think right when the onset of oh, COVID came, yeah, maybe. Right. And so uh, he was connected with IMAC and joined the team again and came on at a perfect time. So here's a guy that brings that big corporate technical professional competence yep. along with his credentials and his subject matter expertise and his mannerisms and his behavior and his ability to connect with people, but he just understands. And one of the things we always try to do is walk the floor. And what's and interesting- he did quite a few times. <laughs> and it's not just that, but you're doing two things. You're looking at your existing facility, mm-hmm. the footprint of your layout, yep. but then you're looking at an empty building. Yep. And you have to start to conceptualize how You're things are going. You're trying to visualize what could be. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But then to take that and circle back around to the technical processes and procedures of a facility layout. Yep. Because as you learned, he's big with CAD. And so coming in and measuring the shop, getting all the dimensions, the square footage, the ceiling heights, the wall locations, the bay doors, the airdrops, the electricity, the bathrooms, the rooms, the offices, but then the footprint of the equipment and on each and every piece of equipment, where the walkway is going to go, where's the equipment going to go, all that can be laid out and then put into a CAD program because the purpose is to get it right the first time. Right. And I haven't like stepped out like the whole process that I went through. So after you introduced, we had our meeting, our first meeting together and the introductions was made. And by the way, I felt comfortable when I knew what Tim's background was because I knew I was dealing with somebody that was competent and had some manufacturing experience and knew what a manufacturing floor should look like. So we met for the original collaboration. We set objectives. We realized the vision for CAR, the company. I always say that everything starts with a vision. Everything st- yeah, and you're a big vision when, guy. When you and I met on the radio show seven years ago, that's what I was talking about. It's all about the vision. Yeah. So where, where we want to be, what type of work are we going to be doing one to three to five years out, and what new technologies are going to be on the shop floor being utilized. So that was all the collaborative thing, the thought process. So then we did a physical walk of both the properties, the existing property, which was jam-packed with CNC machine tools. I mean, I can't believe how much jammed in that place and was still efficient. And then we walked this building, which was under construction. And then he did the physical measurements of the new building. He did physical measurements of all of our existing CNC machine tools, saws, grinders, air compressors, any big ticket 
machinery. Your quality d- department. I mean, everything. Yeah. Well, we designed the quality room together, but yes, he did. Well, we had to make sure that the room was big enough for a CMM. Right. So we your he, tooling. I mean, you need tooling, to store yep, all your exactly. tooling. I remember you used to have that little office in the back. Yep. You know, and then benches. What kind of benches do we want? So after he did the physical layout and took all those and got all those numbers and metrics. Then he gathered the CAD, so we went back to the machine tool manufacturers and said, we have a UMC 750, we have a Mazak VCN 510, send me the CAD model, the footprint of that machine tool, and then he verified with the physical measurements that he had versus the CAD model, and then he just dropped it right into his, onto the shop floor. Then he met with us again and said, how does this work? How is the flow? The raw material is going to come in this dock. We're going to keep it over here. It's going to flow through here. It's going to, you know. So we really kind of thought about how the workflow is going to work to the shop and just place the machinery and equipment in prime areas prime real estate of the floor to maximize the square foot. Yeah, because I mean, it's not even just about your machine tools, but you have secondary processes and everything. Yes. All those need to be considered as it, as it relates to the workflow. Yep, and then future machines too. So then we established power needs. He drew in all the power locations where the machines are going to be. Established air drops, because air is extremely important in a manufacturing shop floor. Water needs. We put water down. We use semi-synthetic coolant. soluble coolant. So we need Zegers. water. We need water, yeah. And then an eyewash station, which I showed you guys earlier. So the water needs was an important thing too. So then... Getting close to finish, he developed that CAD. We moved things around a little bit, talked about future automation. Do we have room in front of these machines? What machines are we going to put adapt robotic or some type of automation to in the future? Is there going to be enough room in front of that machine to do it? Because we don't want to move the machines again. We want to move the machines as little as possible. And then that was it. We met with everybody, showed them. We refined and revised the product. And then he delivered it to us in a CAD model. And the best part about this was on that move day, we had a map, a roadmap that we could say to the machine removers, that machine number 11 goes right here. And we marked the floor with tape exactly where it was going to be placed. Tim gave us dimensions off the wall, the sidewalls. There was no question. Yep. That machine's going right there, place it right between the tape. Away we go. It was perfect. As you were going into this, did you also consider, okay, you're not at capacity. Like you've left yourself room for growth. Yeah, I would say we got and about so 30% left. Did you take into consideration, okay, I want to place the machines in a manner where it's easy for me to just pop in another this size machine as, as you, Absolutely, the work needs Jason. to go there? Okay. Absolutely. We knew that we could get a smaller, we could squeeze in another smaller footprint, maybe a three axis CNC mm-hmm. over here and maybe put a five-axis CNC over here, and maybe put a couple other ones over in this area. And then, like, on our turning center, we don't have a bar feeder, Mm -hmm. but what Tim did is he drew in a bar feeder onto our turning center, because in the future, you never know if we're going to get a bar. Oh, are you going to get a bar feeder for that? Well, we don't know, but we made sure that where we put the CNC, we could adapt a bar feeder to it. Also, like on our big horizontal milling machine, to do preventative maintenance on it is kind of a pain. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we realized the floor space needed to pull out the coolant tank 
and do all of that cleaning and preventative maintenance on it. So we have room to do that. Are you talking about the one that creates a lot of those really tiny aluminum uh, yes, chips? Yes, that yeah, one. That that we, one. We, yeah. So, I mean, just it, just it was an awesome process. And I know I appreciate it. And most importantly, my people in the shop really appreciate the thought that went into the entire well, process. Well, because you want to go into this thing and say, okay, how am I more productive, as you were talking exactly. about, Dean, and how do I make sure that we could produce those parts with as little effort from the people on the shop floor as you possibly can? And quite frankly, I know people are just wondering, oh my God, that sounds expensive. It really wasn't. It, really it was an investment. Wa- it like, was like, an investment. Like we talked about in the very beginning, it's an investment Honestly, in your productivity. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't, otherwise I would have been that guy that would have had to create some kind of roadmap. And you wouldn't have done it as well. No way. You wouldn't have done it as no well. No way. And I know that Tim had knowledge of what a shop floor should look like. So I knew, I just gave him carte blanche. It was like, here you go. You take it, you design it, we'll look at it and we'll revise and refine. And that's how the entire process. How did I do, Dean? You did great. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm happy. I would highly recommend it. If you're thinking about a big move and you want to have a more efficient shop floor, it's something to at least look at. Remember, who's ever listening to this, you don't have to do it. It's great to just delegate that responsibility to somebody who's knowledgeable about doing it. Get the experts involved. Get the experts involved. Absolutely. So Dean... Jim talked about his experience working with iMac. What about other shops out there? What have you seen that are maybe a little bit different from Jim or similar that you could relate to the Metalworking Nation? Yeah, that's a good point because there's more need than just moving from one building to the next. Yeah, that's and everybody's a big one. different. That's sure. why this is all customized to the shop. Typical facility layout projects that we've worked on in the past. We had one uh, client we worked with. They had uh, their facility in three buildings and we moved them into one. So that was still simple, relatively simple, just a little bit more work because you had to do the footprint of each of the facilities and then uh, consolidate that into the new facility. So that's another area where we get involved. There's always a facility layout for plan expansion. One of the critical factors is companies are pressing their footprint. They need more space. Yep. And they're at a decision, do I knock a wall down? Do I find a bigger building? Or let's look at the facility layout and let's recapture some space. That's great. You know what? Now that you mention it, that makes a whole lot of sense. It's like, okay, I don't want to move. I like my building, but I think I could be more efficient. Let's just move things around. And that's a great point. One of the key factors with the quality work that's done, especially in CAD work, is we get the measurements pretty precise because the key thing is if you've got limited space to begin with, you want to make sure you're putting that machine and or warehouse racking, moving that around. You want to make sure it's right because if you miss it by six inches, you might have to take six racks down and position them again. So the key thing is get it right the first time, not the second, third, or fourth time. So there's a couple different avenues on facility layout from simple work to more complex work, but we bring the expertise to handle. And again, it always goes back to the same thing. What's your current state? Where are you at? What's your desired future state? Let's talk about the gaps and how to get you to where you want to be. Very good. Dean, thank you for being here today. Yeah, Pleasure. thank you, Dean. Pleasure. It was great to show you the end result, and I look forward to hosting Tim someday. We'll get him We got to get him in here. We got to yep. get him in here because he's going to be proud of what he did. Metalworking Nation. You probably know Zometry as a digital platform where you can get custom manufacturing on demand with instant quotes. But let me tell you about something new. Now you can source high volume projects directly from Zometry suppliers. Do you have a higher volume CNC sheet, die casting, or metal printing project? 
Do you need to get multiple quotes from different vendors and you have time to wait to get them? Now you can get many quotes directly from the Zometry Network suppliers. You have total control. You name your target price, your target lead time, and you directly communicate with suppliers to get the best deal. This is a new way to source bigger jobs different from instant quoting. You can upload your 2D or 3D files. So it's more than just instant quoting from Zometry. You can source high volume projects directly from the Zometry suppliers. Check it out at Zometry.com. That's X-O-M-E-T-R-Y.com. Any takeaways from that, Jason? I just think that there's a great opportunity out there on two fronts, not only engaging with IMEC or the state MEP that's out there for the metalworking nation, even if you're not going to be moving your machines around, moving into a new building, consolidating buildings, I think that there's a great opportunity to just have that continuous improvement in your manufacturing facility. Look for those productivity gains that you can go through and just get engaged. I mean, like Dean said, their money or part of their money comes from the federal government. I'm pretty sure every manufacturing leader out there is paying federal taxes. Yes. Get some of that money back in the form of the money that the grant money that the MEP could be contributing to your manufacturing facility in order to make your company better. Yep. Absolutely. That's about all I have. And here's the best part. We're making chips. Yeah. There you go. Because as you know, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.